welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, the president of Yankee Institute, and it's no longer February. It is not his birth month, and it is no longer the month of President's Day, but we have a great treat for you. We are going to get to hear from a scholar about President Lincoln, and we are joined today by someone who is well-known to many of us, former state senator Joe Markley, former candidate for lieutenant governor, and he has uh, apparently spoken about President Lincoln and some of his uh, addresses here in Connecticut. And we have on excellent authority that it is a remarkable talk. And so we ask Senator Markley if he would be kind enough to join us on YCT Matters and share some of his insights with us. He was kind enough to agree. So Welcome, Senator Markley. Thank you. And you can call me Joe Carroll. Well, thank and you, Joe. <laughs> you you raised the, when you call me a scholar and uh, and talk about what a great speech it is, you raised the bar a little bit, but I'll do my best. I right. do like mm-hmm. talking about Lincoln. and about, No pressure. I like, talk, I like talking about history instead of current events because current events are so discouraging, whereas history is still inspiring. Well, things looked pretty dark during the Civil War, and here That's we are. Right. So let's all take heart, and I will throw it to you and just basically pop up the corn, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Well, I hope you will also chime in, because otherwise I won't know where I'm going. But I probably um, can't help myself, but in any case. You know, I got to say, one of the reasons that I thought it would be fun to be lieutenant governor was I thought I'll get to give every Lincoln Day speech in the Republican Party for four years. (laughs) Um, And I do like talking about uh, history when I have the chance. And I think Lincoln is, I mean, maybe... Uh, the most fascinating character in American history. And of course, to my mind, the amazing thing about him is it's it's almost unimaginable that a man can come from as far down as he started um, and end up as president of the United States. If Even if he had just become an outstanding lawyer as he did, it would have been quite a story. You know, he was born on the rawest edge of the frontier. His um, His grandfather, his father's father, was killed right in front of Lincoln's father when Lincoln's father was six years old, scalped in front of him and killed. And um, Lincoln's mother's family is so obscure that people, for all the research that has gone into Lincoln, people aren't even sure what his what the names were of his maternal great-grandparents. Um, he was born in the middle of nowhere. And he became a great man by his own um, efforts. And really, by finding... By finding a way of putting things, by finding a way to put words together, which made him first made him a great lawyer and made him a great politician. I also think it's kind of funny that a man who has such a reputation for honesty um, had what were maybe the two (laughs) the two most um, dubious professions when it comes to honesty, lawyering and politicking. Um, But he was uh, honest about what he believed and he found a way to express what he believed. And you mentioned the fact that um, I want to talk about him coming to Connecticut, which I think a lot of people don't know uh, that he did. Uh, The speech that put him on the map, uh, he was invited to speak to the what's now called the Cooper Union in New York. And um, he was just known as a some Westerner because Illinois was the kind of the edge of the West in those days and a backwoods kind of character. And the Eastern t- sorts were not uh, necessarily well inclined to him. 
And he came to the Cooper Union and he gave what might have been the longest speech he ever gave in his life. And it's very much a lawyer's brief. And it's about the um, the question of the day, which was not slavery per se. The question of the day, because it was considered that that was something that even the people that wanted to get rid of it knew that they didn't have the means constitutionally to do it. So the question became the extension of slavery into the territories. Um, under the uh, Compromise of 1820, a line was drawn that basically said, south of the line, slavery, north of the line, uh, free soil. But um, the um, Kansas-Nebraska Act said established what, what was called popular sovereignty, the idea that we'll let the people in the territories decide the issue for themselves. It was a terrible mistake, and it led directly to the Civil War. Although it sounds appealing, um, it really meant that the conflict uh, took place in those territories, in bleeding Kansas and these other places. And the people who held to that said Congress didn't have the right to control slavery in the territories. And slave, Lincoln came out to the Cooper Union in February of 1860 and made a speech to say that in his reading of the Constitution, a lawyer's brief, really, for the idea that um, Congress did indeed have the right and, in fact, the obligation to control slavery within the territories. And it's a speech that um, uh, he says in it, wrong as we think slavery is, we can yet afford to let it alone where it is, because that much is due to the necessity arising from its actual presence in the nation. But can we, while our votes will present it, allow it to spread into the national territories and to overrun us here in these free states? If our sense of duty forbids this, then let us stand by our duty fearlessly and effectively. And he concluded by saying, let us have faith that right makes might. And in that faith, let us to the end dare to do our duty as we understand it. I think always good words to keep in mind. After that address, he went to New Hampshire where his um, eldest son was in school. And then he uh, traveled down to Connecticut and he spoke in Hartford in New Haven, in Bridgeport, in Meriden and in Norwich. And this was uh, February of uh, 1860. It's when he met Gideon Wells um, who had become a Republican leader in Hartford and later was the Secretary of uh, the Navy and wrote an uh, outstanding memoir of his days in the Lincoln Cabinet. Um, and when he came to Connecticut, he, got, he made those speeches, which were not speeches he wrote down or published, but they were reported um, in the press. And he spoke in a very different language that I find uh, uh, charming. He said this about slavery. If I saw a venomous snake crawling in the road, any man would agree that I may seize the nearest stick and kill it. But if I found that snake in bed with my children, that would be another question. I might hurt the children more than the snake, and my attack might provoke it to bite them. Much more if I found it in bed with my neighbor's children, and I had bound myself by a solemn oath not to meddle with his children under any circumstances. It would become me to let my neighbor deal with the snake himself. Slavery is like this. We dare not strike at it where it is. The manner in which our constitution is framed constrains us. The question that we now have to deal with is this. Shall we be acting right to take this snake and carry it to a bed prepared for our children? The Republican Party insists on keeping the snake out of that bed. 
Um, I love that uh, argument. And I love the fact that Lincoln had the, first of all, I say first he had to find a conviction. What did he believe on this issue of slavery and, and the extension to the territories? And then he had to find the words to express it. And when he spoke to the Cooper Union in a speech that he knew was going to be published throughout the country, um, he spoke very careful. He spoke like a lawyer, as well he should have. But when he came to Meriden, uh, which I think of as the town right next door to mine, and spoke, he used language which he knew would um, communicate to the speakers that uh, were in the room there with him. And I think we can learn a lesson from that. And I, I, I said, as part of this speech, Carol, um, whatever success I had in politics, especially when I came back to it, by the time I came back to it, I, I realized I had to do three things. Number one, I had to be sure about what I believed, clear about what I believed, not just my instincts, but my actual beliefs, my principles. And the second thing I had to do was find a way to communicate that to people, how to how to explain what I believed so that they knew it and so that they were convinced of it. And third, I had to stick by it. It's not that difficult when you think about it, mm -hmm. but I think that's what it behooves us all to do as Americans if we want to save this country. We've got to establish our principles and we've got to communicate them consistently in language which will convert other people. The point isn't to anger them. The point isn't to humiliate them. The point is to bring people to our side. And for that, for that, we need to look at the example of Lincoln, our first great Republican president, and his effectiveness in that. I, I agree. You know, it is always so counterproductive, this idea of owning the other yes. side. Uh, because what is ultimately it's it's really an exercise in self-indulgence. You know, right. it, what what is gained by it? Um, the other thing that I think is so interesting is uh, in in what you were talking about is Lincoln's obvious care and obvious uh, respect for the guardrails imposed by the Constitution. That's right. Because, you know, nowadays, uh, what troubles me so much in so much of our federal government is the idea that you you get a sense that so much of what is done, people know it's probably unconstitutional. You know, so much of this attempted censorship of the internet. Mm -hmm. And yet they do it anyway, because you can tell they, they, they know what are you going to do about it? You know, the, the various efforts with this disinformation governance board or these uh, the subterfuge in trying to shut down conservative speech. You know, just this idea. We know we probably shouldn't be doing this. You know, the weaponizing of various instrumentalities of government. People have to know it isn't the way the country was founded or what our founders intended. But what are you going to do about it? I feel the same thing about the idea of conservatives basically getting control of the government so they can impose their own ideas. Precisely. It, it doesn't matter. You know, it's true. You The, the saying power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And it's, you know, I guess part of man's fallen nature, whatever you want to say. Um, and, you know, it's something all of us have to be conscious of. Should we ever be in positions of power? You know, it's... Uh, um, but, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons I admire George Washington so much for walking away after the two terms. And Lincoln's clear, you know, I think having had so many examples around them of uh, and being so conscious of history and what a fragile experiment 
the United States is. Um, you know, I wonder sometimes if we haven't come to take it for granted and perhaps our education system not having uh, done its job in terms of world history and the fact that, you know, the the health of a democratic republic is not something to be taken for granted. 200 years, 250 years is a mere drop in the bucket. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing stretch, though, and it's an, quite an accomplishment. And the fact that it's it should be, I think our history should be taught not as being uh, without blemish, but also certainly not as being um, somehow fundamentally flawed. Indeed. It's a, it's a history of something that has been, it's a country that has been able to actually deal with its problems. Yes. And the Civil War was a, was a horrible example of that. But it was a case of saying there is something wrong here. And, you know, I'll say one more thing about it. The Republican Party came into being because it was willing to take what was effectively a moral stance on a political question. And I think people sometimes are, are reluctant to do that. But the Whigs um, had attempted to straddle the issue of slavery like they straddled every issue, and it eventually destroyed them. The Republican Party said, we're going to be clear about what we think about this. And in short order, it was the majority party in the United States. I think that uh, when some, if we have the courage to be morally clear, I think we can bring the people to our side. Well, as a 501c3 nonprofit, of course, Yankee Institute takes no position on partisan issues, Joe. Right. But I encourage you to continue your story about Mr. Lincoln. <laughs> well, I don't know how much more story I should continue with or I'll, or okay. I'll, I'll, I'll run over your uh, uh, your time. Your time. All right. But I'll um, say this, that, um, you know, he was his... The humility of Lincoln was yes. what permitted him to go through this growth. And one might say that Lincoln was a man who had humility thrust upon him. He came from such circumstances. But he was conscious of the fact that he had to be better than he was. Yes. And I think especially having, having achieved that phase one in reaching the point of the presidency, he then arrived at the presidencies. He said, he, when he left Springfield, he said, with a task before me greater than that which faced Washington. Uh, the greatest challenge that a president could have to be sworn in with states already having seceded from the Union. Yes. And I think he was vividly aware of how much, as a mortal man, how, how much help he needed, spiritual help, political help, uh, the help of the best people that he could get around him in order to be up for the challenge that he had before him. And he, he rose to it in a, in a way that I find very inspiring. George Washington was a great figure too, but George Washington um, had every advantage that a man could have had in, in, in the late 18th century in the United States. Um, Lincoln had none of them and still managed to reach the point where um, I think the two of them stand side by side as the great pillars of our country. Yes. And it is really inspiring when you think, um, and and really, it does seem to be an act of divine providence when you think that we had uh, men of that stature who rose to the forefront at those two turning points in American history. That's exactly right. And it's, it's hard to imagine the country having survived as it has without either of them. I made the point in the speech that a, a man emerged at the time of the Civil War in the in the in the mold of Washington, who I think could have been the great figure of his time, uh, Robert E. Lee, if he had if he had in fact accepted the offer to command the Union Army and keep the uh, keep the Union together instead of following his state um, and and backing the Confederacy. 
But it's, it's also strangely a, a kind of a, a, a Washington figure, a man of great control, a man of great breeding, uh, of stature, a man who commanded instant respect, was also there in 1860, but he jumped the wrong way. It is, uh, it is one of those uh, tragic ironies of history in some ways. Yeah. And so, Joe, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time to share your historical knowledge and not just that, your wisdom and your insight with us today. Well, thank you. And I'm I'm at your service anytime and keep up the terrific work at Yankee, Carol. Well, we are grateful for your time. And as always, uh, we just appreciate all you do for our state. So we are thank you for being with us and all our listeners as always we thank you for being with us and we hope that you will join us again this is carol platt lebow wrapping up another edition of yct matters i'll show you around this place i call home